And so we, what we do is we read through scripture for 20, 30 minutes a day. And then we rant. We just reflect on the scriptures for another 20 to 30 minutes, sometimes longer. And then if time affords us, depending on the spirit of the moment, we spend time in prayer as well. Um, but this is something that we've done now for the past few months. And we've gone through the entire New Testament, we've gone through the, the entire New Testament. We've gone through the entire um, um, New Testament. And now we've gone through the Torah. That is the uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and uh, we've read now through Joshua and now we're in Judges chapter 15. We're in Judges 15 and um, it's been an incredible journey. It's been awesome seeing how the scriptures can transform you when you actually appropriate the scriptures appropriately. Um, when you uh, when you read the scriptures as it's intended to be read, because often what happens is, is that we don't read it uh, the way it ought to be read. And part of that reason is because we don't read the scriptures in its totality. We read it in these little piecemeal slices. And because we read in these slices, uh, we tend to fall into a lot of misinterpretation, misunderstanding. And that's where a lot of our disconnect comes from. It comes from the fact that we don't read the scriptures in its totality. And so for me, that's been my passion, my desire for you to empower you by reading the scriptures, because then you get a really authentic understanding of what the scriptures are, uh, actually saying. And so I know that many of you have already shared that this has been a profoundly transformative experience for you. It's been a healing experience. I've had people who've messaged me on TikTok. I haven't had anybody on IG yet, but uh, I've had atheists and agnostics who've messaged me on TikTok and have told me, hey man, um, I don't know if I would be where I'm at if I had understood the scriptures this way and if this was taught to me in this way um because again a lot of people today in america those who are um, atheists or agnostics still have a church experience the thing is they have a bad church experience or an anti-church experience or one that fell profoundly short of what the scriptures were intended to uh, reveal as it is intended to reveal who god is the character of god and so that leaves uh, a jaded perspective of scripture and so we then start in, in, in imputing stuff into the scriptures. I was just saying, uh, I just recorded a TikTok right before this. I tend to record my TikToks right before my read and rant. So how you guys know when I create my content, but uh, I generally do them right before the read and rant, sometimes after, but usually before. And, uh, and I, one of the TikToks that I recorded today was in regards to Bible verses that actually don't exist. You know, um, there are Christians who love, uh, quoting verses that don't actually exist in the Bible. Like people help those or, or we help those who help themselves. Um, that's not a, that's not a verse in the Bible. And that's not even, that doesn't even embody the character of God. And yet church folks love to say things like that. Or you'll hear, uh, what was it? Uh, when praises go up, blessings come down. Like you'll hear that, like that. what verse is that in the Bible where it says where praises go up, blessings come down. So there's a lot of, um, uh, Christianese that's been interpreted as doctrine and as scripture and as Bible and it's not. And so that's why we're here, y'all. We're here to to read what that Bible is actually saying. And I'm I, I know that uh for those of you who maybe had a perspective, this may have changed your perspective. This may have changed the way you see things. And so um and if it has then I all the glory to God because that's what we're here to do. And the other thing is is uh another side note is is if you notice the reason why I think I, I'm taking this particular posture first 
in the reading of scripture is because to be quite honest with you it's because um i don't want people to say that this is what isaac is teaching to simply say hey this is what pastor isaac is teaching i want people to actually read it for themselves and to actually see it you know if i if i if i say then eventually maybe we'll do bible study but if we're ever doing a study of scripture I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to, I'm going to show you where it is. So that way I'm not in inserting any of my, you know, uh, any of my ego into the text or my experience or my cultural context into the text, but to actually just pull out from the text, what it's actually saying. And I find a lot of, uh, a lot of churches, ministries, and doctrines fall profoundly short of that. Um, one last thing to say, and then we're going to get into reading. I'm going to read through judges and after we're done with judges, I'm going to read Ruth, and then after we're done with Ruth, um, for those of you who don't know, this uh, the month of July is my sabbatical month. It's my month of rest and reflection and prayer, and so um, I want to just you know I, I want to commit that time to 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 reflection and prayer. So I won't be on as often, and I mean I'm not going to be doing the read and rant throughout the month of July. But I may come on in and out just to say what's up, just to say hi and encourage you guys because we have uh, Alpha, a thing called Alpha that we do that we're going to be launching again in, in August that I would love to journey with another group of people. The group that I journeyed with uh, has been just, it was an incredible time. It was an awesome time. Um, and I look forward to, to journeying again um, in Alpha with with a group of you guys. So anyway, that we'll, we'll leave that for another time. But I just want to say I'll be in and out. But we won't we won't have read and rants throughout July. And then in August, we kick off again and we keep reading through this text and read reading through the scripture. So anyway, let's get right to it. Judges chapter 15. And we're going to pray. And the thing that we're asking uh, of the Lord today as we read the scriptures, we want him to reveal something about himself. Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Second question that we're asking is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning people? What are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that we're going to ask is, is, uh, Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? I want you to ask this for yourself. Uh, I want you to ask this for yourself, but I'm going to be asking that for myself as we read the scriptures. So let's get to it. Father, I thank you for this time Lord, that you brought us together, Lord, in the reading of your word. I just pray that you would bless this time, Lord, as we're uh, closing out uh, the book of Judges, Lord, that we would uh, receive even more revelation from you, Lord, concerning who you are, concerning who we are as a people and concerning the matters and the issues of our heart. So discern us, Father, correct us, convict us, um, encourage us, build us up. Whatever it is that we need in this moment, Father, give us this day, our daily bread. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges 15, verse 1. And it says this. After a while... In the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat, and he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought you that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches and turned the foxes 
tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of the tails. Then he had set the torches on fire and let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timonite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companions. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you. And after that, I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter and went down and dwelt on the cleft of the rock of Atom. Now the Philistines went up and encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Atom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. And they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will surely tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with the two ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose in his, from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, Heap upon heaps with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramathlehi. Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given the great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the circumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, And water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called its name En-Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel twenty years in the days of the Philistines. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went in to her. And the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. They surrounded the place, and they lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he rose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him, and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, 
Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the Lord of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. And the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Lord, look, you have mocked me, told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, if they bind me secretly with new ropes, that they have that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson, and men are lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off, his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave seven locks of my head, into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly into a batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him that his soul was vexed to death. That he told her all his heart and said to her, no razor shall come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had shaved uh, called for a man and had him shave off seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him and she said the philistines are upon you samson so he awoke from his sleep and said i will go out as before the other times and shake myself free but he did not know that the lord had departed from him and the philistines took him put out his eyes brought him down to gaza they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison however the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer the great sacrifice of Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. 
So they called for Samson from prison, and he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my own two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars, which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and the temple of the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that killed that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in a tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ear, here's the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. So when he had returned 1100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Thus, he returned the silver to his mother. And the mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith. And he made it into a carved image and a molded image. And they were in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household idols. And he consecrated one of his sons who became his priests. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, there was a young man in Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and was standing and was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem and Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. He came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah as whom he journeyed. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? So he said to him, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm on my way to find a place to stay. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. And I will give you 10 shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes in your sustenance. So the Levite went, Levite went in and the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became like one of his sons to him. So Micah consecrated the Levite and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since I have a Levite as a priest. Judges 18. In those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day their inheritance amongst the tribe of Israel had not fallen to them. So the children of Dan sent five men to their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtal, to spy out the land and search it. They said to them, 
Go search the land. So they went to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah and lodged there. While they were at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. They turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What do you have here? He said to them, thus, and so Micah did for me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. So they said to him, please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, go in peace, the presence of the Lord be with you on your way. So the five men departed and went to Laish. They saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely in the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There was no, there were no, there were no rulers in the land. Sorry, who might put them to shame for anything? They were far from the Sidonians, and they had ties, no ties with anyone. And the spies came back to the brethren of Zorah and Ashtaol, and their brethren said to them, "What is your report?" So he said, "Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and indeed it is very good." Would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and enter to possess the land. When you go, you will come to secure people and a large land, for God had given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. And 600 men of the family of the Danites went from there, from Zorah to Eshtal, armed with weapons of war. They went up and encamped in Kirjath-Jarim in Judah. Therefore, they call that place Manina Dan to this day. There it is, west of Kerjash Jerim. And they <clears throat> passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. And the five men who had gone out to spy out the country, Laish, answered and said to the brethren, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod, household idols? a carved image, a molded image. Now, therefore, consider what you should do. So they turned aside and came to the house of the young Levite man, to the house of Micah, and greeted him. The 600 men armed with their weapons of war, who were of the children of Dan, stood by the entrance of the gate. Then the five men had gone out to spy the land. Then the five men who had gone out to spy the land went up. Entering there, they took the carved image to Ephod, and the household idols and the molden image. The priest stood at the entrance of the gate with the 600 men who were armed with weapons of war. And they went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols and the molden image. And the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, be quiet, put your hand over your mouth, come with us, be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be the priest, to be a priest in the household of one man, or that you be a priest to a tribe and a family of Israel. So the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod, the household idols, and the carved image, and took his place among the people. Then they turned and departed, and put the little ones, the livestock, and the goods in front of them. When they were when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house, gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they called out the children of Dan. So they turned around and said to Micah, What ails you? What you have gathered such a company? And he said, You have taken away my gods, which I made, and the priest, and you have gone away. Now what more do I have 
How can you say to me what ails you? And the children of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry men fall upon you and loose your life with the lives of your household. And the children of Dan went their way, and Micah saw that they were too strong for him, and he returned back to his house. So they settled, so they, sorry, so they took the things Micah had made, the priests who had belonged to them, and went to Laish, to a people quiet and secure, and they struck them with the edge of a sword, burned the city with fire. There was no deliverer, because it was far from Sidon, and they had no ties with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob, that they, re, that they rebuilt the city and dwelt there. They called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan their father, who was born in Israel. However, the name of the city was formerly Laish. And the children of Dan set up for themselves a carved image. And Jonathan, son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests in the tribe of Dan until the day of captivity of the land. They set up for themselves Micah's carved image which they had made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. 19. And then we'll stop here. Actually, no, you know what? I'm debating here. You know, we'll stop. We'll stop right here. We'll stop here. Um, we'll read 19, 20, and 21 uh, tomorrow. Um, as you guys know, we're closing out on the book of Judges. Um, and I don't know if anybody's actually read through the entire book, but when you read through the entire book, it's it's a whole different thing. You may have read Gideon's story, right? Or you may have read Samson's story, or you may have read Deborah's story. Those are the ones that we read about all the time. We read about Gideon, or we read about Samson, or we read about Deborah. Um, but not very many people have read, you know, Othniel's story, or the story we just read today, Micah's story. Not many people have read that. We kind of read it in piecemeal format. The unfortunate reality is that when we read the book of Judges, the book of Judges is less about the judges and more about exposing the, the, the demise, the moral and ethical demise of the children of Israel, the chosen people of God. Um, hey, Ellison, how are you? Hey, Izzy, good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Um, judges exposes the condition of man. Uh, what judges does is it's not really about the judges. Now, we, we know who the judges are. So the judges you see in the text are they, they were generally political leaders, military leaders um, who were there at a particular point in time to deliver the, is, the children of Israel or a group of people within the children of Israel or tribes within the children of Israel to uh, um, to liberate them from captivity. And the reason why they fell into captivity is simply because they weren't being as God had called them to be, which is to be a nation of priests. We've talked about this before, that when we read the Bible, what we're reading is we're reading essentially a history. We're reading a story. Um, we're reading a story of the chosen people of God and the implication of their story on the story of all humanity. Anybody, anybody understand that? And so this is really about how the, the how God is writing his story through a people. 
and the implications of what that story is to us today. Um, the culmination and the climax of that story we eventually see in the Gospels later on in you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we see now the, the, the climax of that story is in Jesus Christ fulfilling all that God had intended uh, to accomplish, th to restore the people of God. But he wanted, but God had called it through these, this bloodline, this people. And this was a covenantal bloodline, not just a bloodline by DNA, but a bloodline by faith and covenant. We talked about all that. If you've missed any reading rants, you can go back. You can go check those out another time. Go check them out. Um, we have the Reading Rant podcast. Uh, you can check that out as well. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. And we have the Font Everywhere where you can catch the Reading Rants. I have my Font Everywhere family who's here. I've got my IG family who's here as well. So um, that's to say this is I want to preface all of that by l helping you understand that judges is actually not about the judges. But if you've read up to this point, we're almost done with the book of Judges. It's really about a people. It's about the children of Israel and how... They have declined morally simply because they weren't obedient to God in eradicating the influence of the Canaanites over them. While they came and they subdued the land and they had power in the land and they were victorious in subduing the land, that's Joshua, they go into judges not doing what Joshua had told them to do, which was to eradicate the Canaanites because these people were a wicked people. They were an evil, wicked people who served other gods, who served, and when we talk about other gods, the other Baals, the other Elohims, the other gods, the other spirits, the other governments, the other principalities that governed them, be it greed, be it money, be it sex, be it whatever it is, all those things govern them. And because they govern them, we see all that comes out of that. And at the root of that was the ego, the man himself. So what mankind does is mankind has a tendency to worship the creator, sorry, the creation rather than the creator. We want to worship science or we want to worship the you know knowledge and information and the universe and and so we we love to 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 give the universe credit for things but we worship the creation and not the creator and we and, and and that's really the temptation that the Canaanites fell in. So they worshiped uh, the sun and the moon and they worshiped sexuality and sensuality. Um, when, when, when we see, the, and remember, and I know, I, I know I have my boys here as well, and maybe some of you have kids, but when you read Judges, uh, the, the Hebraisms in here cover up a lot of the, just the, the graphic violence and sensuality of this book. If I really were to like point out some things, like for example, I'll point out one thing. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep it as PG as I can. But uh, if you go back to Samson, right, and it says that uh, <clears throat> it says that um, um, uh, when Delilah, hold on, I'll get to it. Um, you know, Delilah uh, puts him to rest. It says here when Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart. She had come up, so the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought her the money, it brought the money, and then look at verse 19, just a little side note. It says, she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man. 
<laughs> and had shaved off the locks uh, on his head. Um, she lulled him to sleep on her knees. I'll let you fill that in with your imagination. Um, these are like little things here and there. We call them Hebraisms um, in the text because again, you know, again, it's, 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 it's a story. It's a story. Um, now, let me back up for a moment because while this is not about judges, the judges themselves, it's actually about the condition of humanity. And what judges exposes is how dark, how evil, how wicked the ego is. Canaan represents the ego. And now we're beginning to see that the children of Israel who were called to serve a different rule, a different government, a different law, the law of God, they go into this land and instead they allow the worship of these idols now to govern them. They let the little bit of leaven leaven the entire lump. This is, this is really important, fam. Because when we paint the picture, we go, well, what's the wrong, you know, what's the problem with them serving other gods? You have to understand how they worship these gods. Some of these gods were, some of these worship services, depending on the god that they were worshiping, were simply just orgies. They would call that worship. There was worship that would be uh, reflective of child sacrifice. That was how they worship. They would come and they'd sacrifice children. There were women who were literally brought in and, and killed and they would draw their blood, the blood of the woman and call that sacrifice. They would drug and entrance women and <clears throat> sexually assault women. And that was how they would worship and other women would come around and see them doing this together. This is what happens when you worship something other than God. This is what happens when you serve a different law other than the law of God. It creeps in, it creeps in, it creeps in. And next thing you know, you become like the rest of the world. Canaan was governed by the ego. And so it's revealing the condition of man. And this condition was not exclusive to just the Canaanites. Now it became exclusive, inclusive, sorry, to the children of Israel. You could not distinguish them anymore from Canaan. And yet God called them to bring and establish a new government on this land. That was the whole purpose of the law in the first place. Was for God to was was for God to reestablish His rule, reestablish Eden, to reestablish, um, to, to to bring the restoration of all mankind. And He gave them this land to do it. And yet they came into this land, and instead of looking like, instead of 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 becoming the nation that God intended them to be, they looked like Canaan. You could not distinguish them now from Canaan. And this wasn't just exclusive to the children of Israel and the Canaanites, but this is also becoming exclusive or inclusive, sorry, of the judges themselves. We have a tendency. And when I was a kid, when they taught the stories in the book of Judges as a child, they taught judges as if they were heroes. Like when we, when we see these stories about these judges, we're, we, we usually represent them as heroes 
And yet, if you're reading this text, you're beginning to find that there's very little that's heroic about them. Aside from Deborah, it just gets worse. Othniel, it's all right. Then we get to Deborah. Okay. And then as we continue on, I mean, we celebrate Gideon, right? Man, Gideon and his 300, the Leonidas of his time. But Gideon ends with idolatry. It doesn't end well for Gideon. And not only does it end well for Gideon, his son who comes after him kills his other sons. And then when we continue on and, and we, we, we see the story, I mean, we read it, and I don't need to, to we read it from the past couple of days. We get to a point where we begin to realize, like, these people are not the people that left, came, um, that left Egypt. These people are not the people who had time with God in the wilderness. We get to Samson. And man, we celebrate Samson. And I, 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 part of me doesn't want to like ruin it for my kids, but I might as well give it to them. Samson is not to be celebrated in the way that we celebrate him. Oh, there's a message of the gospel there. But Samson's not the hero that we make him out to be. Samson was called. And Samson, in the end, this doesn't look like, does this look like the guy? Hold on, let's read this real quick. This Samson, this guy who, uh, after he comes in and marries the first Philistine wife, remember he leaves and walks away. And really, the only reason why he married her, which we talked about again, was because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him to marry her, to go in and to begin to 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 to, to steep into uh, Philistine culture and Philistine society. And he leaves, right, because of, of, we read it already, he leaves. And then after he leaves, he comes back only to find that his his best man in his wedding is now uh, married to his wife, he had just left and so he gets upset and so he ties up the foxes and he put lights up the foxes tails and he he runs them through the through 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 the um through uh the the wheat fields and we see it and we talk about his strength but this is a guy who's who's losing it we're seeing the precipitous decline of a man who was set aside by God. I think we, we look at Samson and we tend to just emphasize his strength was his hair. His strength wasn't his hair. It was the Holy Spirit. And the reason why the Holy Spirit was with him is because he was called to commit the life to the life of a Nazarite. And to live the life of a Nazareth required him to live a life that was separate, reflective of how he wore his hair. And so because he cut his hair, it was a complete, it was, it was, he was at the end. He did not look anything like a Nazareth. He did not live at all like, like a Nazareth. And his strength came out of his calling in being a Nazareth. 
People say that the strength was in his hair. No, the strength was in the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Because every time we saw these instances where he exercises his strength, pay attention, fam. Every time we see these instances where he exercises his strength, it was because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. It wasn't because he had hair. But then the Spirit completely left him at the moment that he had cut his hair because as we read in the scripture, right, Delilah gave him all, he gave all his heart to her. And that moment that he cut his hair was the moment that he chose to um, subsist being a man who was a Nazarite called apart, set apart to live a life that was distinct. This is the Samson we talk about. Is this, is, is this our hero? Is this our hero? Samson in, in Judges chapter 16, is this our hero? It opens up in Judges 16. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Is that our hero? Samson shows up to a whorehouse to get his fix. He's got men waiting outside to kill him because they know he's spending the whole night inside of a harlot's house to get his fix. This is a man who was called to be separate, to be a Nazarite. As a matter of fact, if you look at all the agendas up to it's up until his death, Samson actually began to see his calling. Samson at no point represented the children of God. He was too busy representing himself. Samson, he's not the hero we make him out to be. He's not the hero we make him out to be. Samson is not the guy. He's not the guy that, you know, we we present him that way. I, we, I went to Sunday school and I was told, man, Samson, he's a hero. He's a hero. The hero, Samson. He ain't no hero. Samson was all, he was all about this brand. That's exactly right. Samson was all about, even all the exploits and his battles and his fights were all about what he wanted. Did you hear that? This man was about himself. And it wasn't until his eyes were gouged out and he was tied up because his hair was gone. Understand that he attached his faith to his hair. So the moment his hair left, his faith left. And because his faith left, the spirit left. Because the spirit left, he didn't have strength. The hair didn't make him strong. The Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit can't work without his faith. His faith was established by his calling in being separate. And the moment he released that, and all of it fell apart. I'm looking at this text. I hope this is making some sense to you guys as you're reading this. But I don't see a man to celebrate, but I see a man to mourn. Like when, when this, when, when this story, this story is being put here, 
not for you to celebrate a man who had all this strength and all this power. The story is being put there to show you how you can be called and separate and set aside. And yet when God fulfills his calling through you, it's fulfilled in a very tragic way. You see, this guy from birth was set aside, but this is the story of not just Samson, but this is the story of the children of Israel that, that God's going to fulfill his agenda over your life. But it may cost you your life. Samson's not a hero. He's not a guy we should aspire to be. He should guy, he's actually a guy we should refrain from becoming. This text is a warning. He ain't no hero. And so in that last moment, Samson says, let me die with the Philistines, pushes with all his might. And notice what it says. And this is, this is the verse that's really sticking out to me as I'm meditating and I'm reading through this today. Thank you so much for the badge. Thank you so much for the gift. In verse 30, it says, Samson says, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And the temple fell on the Lord and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Samson accomplished more in his death than he did in his life. Now we can say, wow, what a powerful story. But for me, I see it as a tragic ending. That it took you dying, Samson, to fulfill the call of God over your life. Guys, as we've been reading, these judges are no heroes. They're not heroes. This is a tragedy. This is not a story to celebrate. We celebrate it all the time. Samson, hey, I want to be like Samson. No, you don't. You don't want to be like Samson for every man and woman who thinks that they can use the strength and the gifts that God has given them and to live the way they want to live and do whatever they want to do for you, my brother, who may be a pastor and a minister of God, but still believes I can go around sleeping around with women. I can go around doing this. I can go around doing that because God has a calling over my life. Pay attention, family. God will fulfill his calling over you. But even though he fulfills it over, you know, it might cost you your life. It's a tragedy. But here's the beautiful thing about it is that even in the midst of it, and this is where, you know, it gets really weird for a lot of people. Is people don't understand that premature death is grace as well. Did you hear that? Premature death is grace. You go, oh my gosh, gone too soon. You ever heard that one? Gone too soon. God's saying gone at the right time. You know, God can love you so much that he causes you to pass away prematurely. Because God will, God will take you home first. Before he completely loses you. What I see in this text 
is a man who still has the call of God over his life. No matter how many mistakes he makes, this guy doesn't look anything like somebody who you would say, man, this is the guy I want to be. This is the guy. Actually, if you look, this is the guy you kick out of your church. Samson is the guy you kick out. And yet God still uses him. You know, it's funny. We can let people go, but God won't let us go. I see this text and I see the children of Israel and notice that they came for Samson after he had just burned down all, all, all the wheat fields and they came for him. And what did they do? The church, the children of Israel came after Samson, tied him up and sent him back. Cause that's what the church has a tendency to do. Samson is the guy that would get kicked out of church and sent out. And yet the call of God was still over his life. This is the grace of God. And this is the paradox of God's grace, family. The paradox of God's grace is, is that even when you get kicked out and thrown out, and even when they throw you into the hands of the enemy, there's some people right now, you've been thrown into a dark place. You were thrown out of your place of safety and refuge because of a mistake, because you were different, because of some things you've done, because of some things you said, and they threw you out to the wolves. And when you got thrown out to the wolves, you didn't know where to go. And you found yourself in a place of darkness around people who are dark. And then because you were around those people, you began to be steeped by their culture, their thinking, their ideology, and you got lost in all of it. But this is my word for you today, family is when God has a call over your life, it doesn't matter who kicked you out. It doesn't matter who kicked you out. God will find you right where you are and he'll meet you right there. Samson is he's in the middle of a worship service of a demonic spirit. God meets him there. Samson is in that corner with those pillars in between those pillars and he cries out to God and God hears him right there. This is the paradox of grace that it is a tragedy and yet it is a victory. It's a victorious tragedy. It's a tragic victory. Samson is about to die prematurely, but Samson is about to be glorified in his sacrifice all the way up to this point samson has messed up over and over and over and over and over again samson is no hero but in his lowest point he calls out to god and god hears him there in verse 30 samson says let me die with the philistines cries it out and he pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. The scripture ends in verse 34 and his brothers and all his, all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal. In the tomb of his father Manoah, he had judged Israel 20 years. In the end, Samson was used by God. The Lord heard from him and Samson fulfilled his calling. This is the grace of God. 
God doesn't give up on you. When God calls you, it doesn't matter how dark you are, how dark it was. I always say this, God spoke to me in a place where you wouldn't have expected God to be. When the psalmist says, if I look up to the heavens, you are there. If I descend to the pits of Sheol and Hades, you are there. There's nowhere God is not. If he can be in hell, he can be at the whorehouse. If he can be in hell, then he can be he can he can be um at that at the at that trap house. If 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 God can be in hell, he can be in your broken marriage. If God can be in hell, he can be in that broken home. If God can 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 descend into hell, and yet the scriptures tell us that when Christ died on the cross, he descended. He descended into Hades. I find that God shows up often in the darkest places. I find out God shows up on the deathbeds. God shows up in the darkest places. God shows up in the most painful places. Samson is a failure by every by every stretch of the imagination. Samson is a failure, and yet God still heard him. That's for anybody here who's saying, man, I feel like I'm a failure. I don't feel like God can hear me. If you feel like God can't, can't hear you, trust me, y- you didn't do worse than Samson. You couldn't do worse than Samson. Samson's he's everything that's wrong. He's he he the man's not he's not he's not our hero. Ah, but he represents us all. We're all Samson. <laughs> man, I could rant. I, I'm out of time, man. I could rant. I could rant. Because I read Micah. Uh, in in Judges seventeen, I just want to say a couple of things there, and after that, I'm done. I know I'm, I'm I'm I don't want to hold you hostage, but I hope this has been been good for you. I hope this is really um, leading you and guiding you in how you read the scripture and to see <laughs> to see the heart of God, the mission of God, and the plan of God. As we're closing Judges, you're beginning to see humanity is falling precipitously apart. But it tells us the consequence of it. Micah, in Judges chapter 17, pay very close attention because this is actually the point of the whole book. Okay? I'm going to hold you hostage. Yes, I'm going to hold you hostage for another like 15 minutes. This chapter, if you want to take notes, this is not a full Bible study. I know we're not in full Bible study mode, but since we're here, I might as well tell you this chapter, Judges 17, gives us the entire point of the book. The entire point of the book. And the entire point of the book is in verse six. And I had it already highlighted. It's it's verse six. I had it in pink because those are things that you need to remember. Pink is like better remember that when I highlight stuff in pink. Don't ever forget that one. In Judges 17, verse 6, this is the whole point of Judges. Okay? 
It says in verse 6, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Did you hear that? That is the point of the entire book. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is how it fell precipitously. This is how the children of Israel have fallen to to, to the moral abyss that they're in. This is why we see Samson the way that he is. Because everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar? We've been talking about Canaanite churches, Canaanite priests, Canaanite thinking, Canaanite living that these Israelites fell into Canaanite living. This is what Judges is all about and how they became Canaan. They left Egypt, went through the wilderness to be the nation of Israel, and instead they became Canaan. That's what Judges is about. Why? Because there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We said this before, that the righteousness of God is the rule of God. Righteousness is not a goal. It's not a thing to attain. Righteousness is an order of things. It is a way. And so the righteousness of God, when we talk about it, the word righteousness is the word sikeno. And the word sikeno means justice. It is the justice of God. It is the judicial system of God. It is the system of right and wrong. It is the way. That's why when the children called it the way, they understood it because that's why, and that's why the righteousness of God is only Christ because the righteousness of God is Christ because it is the way to be, to live, to act. This is, this is not about a bunch of laws, but this is about a, character and identity and a personality. And that's why the righteousness of Christ has to be imputed on you because your way will never be good. He has to put his way upon you. The problem is, is that if we're talking about the righteousness of God, then we're talking about a way. If we're talking about a way, we're talking about the rule of God. If we're talking about the rule of God, we're talking about the government of God. If we're talking about the government of God, we call that government the kingdom of God. And that kingdom that we call the kingdom of God is the kingdom that is within us. The kingdom of God is within you. This has always been about a kingdom. And to be about a kingdom, there has to be a king. See, here's the thing. We want a Jesus who will love us, but do we want a Jesus who will rule us? When it talks about the king of kings and the Lord of lords, do we want a king or do we want a genie? Do we want a God that simply answers our prayers? Or do we want a God who rules and governs our life? 
do we want a God who simply, you know, I come to him whenever I need something, whenever I'm, you know, life isn't going the way it should be going, or do we want a God who actually rules over us? The way a king rules is a king says what ought to be done and not to be done. When a king rules, you don't make a move until you have the king's permission. When a king rules your life, it's not about what I want. It's not about what I desire. It's about whatever the king says. And what was wrong with Canaan is now wrong with Israel. There is no king. There is no king. No, instead, everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Are you hearing this? This is the problem with today's culture. This is the problem with today's society. This is the problem. The problem is, is that everyone can have their own right. Everyone can have their own truth. Everyone can have their own way they see things because everyone wants to be their own king. And everyone wants to be their own God. Ah, but this life that we live requires us not to do what is right in our own eyes and in our own heart. Because the scriptures tell us that man does what is right in his own eyes and in the end it leads to destruction. You know that everything that you're doing that seems right to you is the very thing that will destroy you. Oh, so you're scaring me from my desires and my... No, what I'm saying to you is, is what governs you? Is it your ego? Or is it Christ? Are you actually governed? Oh, man. Does the kingdom of God govern your life? Does the king kingdom of God govern your marriage? Does the kingdom of God govern your family? Does the kingdom of God govern your heart? Does the kingdom of God govern you? Judges is judges, and Israel has become Canaan because in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Because everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Ah. And when you do what is right with in your own eyes, what you get is you get a bootleg Jesus. You get a fake Jesus that doesn't really transform anything. Man doing right what is right in his own eyes is the reason why we have churches that are filled with people who simply impose Jesus on their lives but are never really transformed by Jesus. It's the reason why churches have people who look more like Republicans than they do Christians or look more like Democrats than they do Christians who look more like a cultural way of thinking than actually people who are followers of the way. They have a bootleg Jesus. And so your marriage was never really transformed because you have a bootleg Jesus. Your life wasn't really transformed because you have a bootleg Jesus. This Jesus doesn't rule you. This Jesus is like, he's kind of like this genie you just call on and you drag on and you pull over. So it's not, it doesn't really transform you. So you have a bootleg Jesus. I'm closing now because now we get to my point today. It took me a while to get here. But could it be that because you have no king and because you're your own king and Jesus isn't king over your life,
that what you have is a bootleg Jesus. How do I know that? Because this is what Micah did. Micah instituted a bootleg Jesus. And Micah said to him, verse 9, sorry, let's back that up. Verse 6, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Verse 7, now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and was staying there. The man departed from Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. Bootleg Jesus. Bootleg Jesus. Ah, but there was another man who was from Bethlehem. who came from the tribe of Judah, who we call the Lion of Judah. And this Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, looking to go into any home. Micah fell into what everybody else falls into, the Levite, the priest. Oh, didn't the scripture say that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, Jesus himself, who is our high priest. And this Levite, in verse, in verse 9, he comes up to him and he says, I am a Levite from Bethlehem and Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to stay. Micah gives him residence in his home, but Micah tells the Levite to be a minister to his idols. Bootleg Jesus. Because Micah doesn't want a priest who is his Lord and his king. Micah wants a priest that will simply facilitate his idol worship. Man, that's another word. It's another message. There's messages for days. Through this, I could, I could spend. You know, I have never done a series on Judges. I just realized that. I've never preached a series on Judges. Maybe I should eventually preach a series on Judges. But Judges points to our church today. It points to our people today. It points to our children today. It points to us today. And it's a point of conviction as I'm praying and I'm closing. Is I'm asking myself this question. Is Jesus king over my life? Is he king? Or is Jesus just some Levite from Bethlehem in Judah who have allowed him into my home, not to rule me, but to serve me in my worship of my idols? Micah says, you will be my priest. And then Micah brings him in to worship his idols. This is in Judges chapter 18, fam. This is our reading today. Go back and read it again. Micah is, 
Micah's got a bootleg Jesus who helps him worship his idols. Oh, the idols we have in the church today, the idols we have in our culture today, the idols that drive us, the idols that motivate us, the the cultural philosophies that we have that are all idols in our life today. My question for you, family, is are we putting Jesus in there to help us worship it? You know, the idol of materialism, you know, we, we talk about the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is just a bootleg Jesus. It's a, it's a priest, a Levite, who's in Bethlehem, in Judah, who's from Bethlehem in Judah, who comes into our home to help us worship materialism. That's Micah. But there are other, there are other theologies as well. It's not just the prosperity gospel. It's some of the other gospels that we preach that allow us simply to serve and worship our own idols and our own thinking. My challenge for you today as we close is, is Jesus king? Or is he a bootleg Jesus? Are you only doing what is right in your own eyes? Or are you simply submitting to the authority of Christ in your life? That's my challenge for you today. If I were to call this episode on the podcast anything, I would call it No Heroes, No Kings. No glory. Bootleg Jesus. Lord, as I come before you today, Lord, and I'm reading your word, I'm profoundly convicted. Lord, of the tendency that we have towards ourselves, the proclivity that we have towards the philosophy of our time, Lord, the thinking of this cultural moment, the things that motivate and drive us, Father, it's so easy to be tempted by the things of this world, the, the thinking of this world. Lord, we look so we, we make so many attempts to, to try to adjust our gospel so that it fits into this cultural climax, climate. And Father, we know, Lord, in this moment, Lord, you're not asking us to be of the world, but Father, you've called us to be distinct. Lord, a peculiar people, Lord, to be under your lordship over anything else. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that as we hear this, that you would be king over our lives, that you would rule our heart, rule our lives, rule our marriage, not what we want, not what we desire, not simply what is right in our own eyes, not what we think is right, but, Father, that we would submit, Lord, to your righteousness, in all things, Lord, to know, Lord, that Lord, when we submit to your spirit, Lord, that you, you're writing the law on our hearts, the epistle on our hearts. Lord God, that we would be led by you, seeking you in all things. Lord, I thank you for each and every person who's here, Lord, as, they're, as we're closing out this chapter, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would convict us all. 
of the consequences that happen when there's no king in our lives and we do what is right in our own eyes. May we not fall into destruction, but Lord, may we, Lord, submit to you. May we not fall into uh, the consequences of Samson. Yes, you took your son in, but Lord, we also know it didn't have to end this way. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that things would end well for us. I pray that you would uh, give us, Lord, the ability to see and the capacity, Lord, to by your spirit, to be drawn to you, Lord, to submit to your will, not our agenda, but yours. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.